you're wondering, the, the woman with the beautiful voice, um, her name is Caitlin. She's one of our interns with Young Adult Ministry and, and Worship Ministry, and we are really excited to have her around. Um, she's, yeah. And what a great time of worship. I uh, hope your heart's prepared to receive from God's word. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Spirit, we invite you to stir in us as you interact with the word. Would you point us to Jesus? We know if we see him, we'll be changed. So, Lord, that's our prayer today. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, This past summer, my family and I, we went on vacation. We were gone for almost two weeks and uh, were contacted before that. Uh, There was a family that was going to be coming from Sweden, a friend of a friend who needed a place to stay. And so um, during the time we were going to be gone, so we opened up our home to them and sort of said, hey, whatever's um, ours, you can have, you can ride our bikes, you can play with our toy, whatever. Um, It's yours while you're here. And um, so they took us up on that and I got back home, and um, a few weeks ago, we were getting ready to go on, on a bike ride as a family, and I grabbed my helmet, and I went to put it on, and it was like way too small for my head. And I'm, I take it off, and I look at it, and I go, this is definitely my helmet. So um, like a guy, you know, I'm just, I'm going to push harder, right? Um, even though it's, it's definitely too small, and Kelly's looking at me like, hey, somebody borrowed your helmet. You might want to just adjust that bad boy because you can pull as hard as you want, but it's not going to fit, right? So I, and and I, as I took that helmet off, I thought to myself, man, I wonder how many followers of Jesus, the, the gospel that we hear, the gospel that we put forward, the, the invitation from God just feels like a little bit too small, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been in church and you felt like the message that you were given or, or maybe um, around followers of Jesus and, and the message that you heard, or the invitation you heard was, was just, just felt too small. Maybe it sounded a little bit like this. Um, give your life to Jesus and then um, come to church on Sunday mornings. Period. Right, and that was it, as if Jesus saved us from sin, redeemed us from um, all that was wrong with us, is making us new, and the bottom line is, come to church for an hour on a Sunday morning. Okay, now, I'm all about church, but I'm just going to throw it out there. If that's the end game, that's lame. Yeah. Is it not? I mean, I think if that's the end, if the gospel leads us to, okay, now you get to come to church for an hour and maybe an hour and a half, depending on how long-winded the preacher is that morning. If that's the end game, I just want to throw out to you that we might have missed the point. We might have missed the point. So if you've ever felt like the story's too small, if you've ever felt like the invitation just didn't fit with all that God had created you to be and everything the Spirit stirred inside of you, if church in and of itself just felt too, Sunday morning in and of itself has felt too small, and this is for you. This message is for you. Because if you're like me, there's something inside of me that just longs to be part of something big, to be part of something beautiful, to be part of God's redemptive plan. And if you're wondering, is he going to preach the whole message with that stupid helmet on? No. 
I'm not. There's something in us, though, isn't there, that where, where um, you know, Sir Ernest Shackleton in the early 1900s can put an ad in, in the paper in Great Britain that says, men wanted for hazardous journey, he was an explorer, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. And 5,000 people said, count me in. I mean, you tell me there's not something inside of us, inside of you, inside of me, that just longs to be part of something grand for our story, our little story to count for something far bigger than our little story. See, I don't think Ernest Shackleton had anything on Jesus. Because listen to what Jesus says. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, every, every people group, this, is, this message is not just for a select or elite some. This message is for all. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to know. Oh, wait, no, that, that's sort of what we do in church sometimes, isn't it? If we want to teach people to, to just to know what Jesus says. We can memorize the scripture. And, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in just people knowing Teach people to observe. Teach people to walk in my way because that's where life is. So teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, in case you're wondering where the power for that comes from, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So something devastating has happened in Christendom over the last 1,700 years. We've given that invitation to a select few. So like we'll send money to people who go and do this, which I'm all for. Please don't hear me say anything other than I, I like that. I'm for missions. I'm yes and amen. But, but, please, will you look at me for a second? If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get the chance to subcontract this out. This is yours as much as it's anyone's. Jesus wasn't interested in creating some subculture of professional Christians, and then the rest of us, we just go, well, it, it doesn't seem to fit, but we'll pull harder, right? We'll keep gathering, and man, they get to live the great story. But the one we get to live, we've just given snippets of what God is doing See, this is, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is God's invitation for you to be a disciple who makes disciples on mission wherever God has planted you, whether it's in your home or in your workplace or in your neighborhood, wherever you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, you bring the kingdom with you. So when Jesus was calling his first disciples, listen to what he says. And if you want to memorize one verse that gives you sort of a blueprint of what it looks like to be a disciple, may I propose, this is a great verse to memorize. Because here's what Jesus says. He said to them, he's walking along the, sea of, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he says, follow me. That's where discipleship begins. We say, all right, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live in your way. Not just know what you know, but do what you do and live like you live. Follow me, he says, and I will make you. This is transformation. 
This is, I'm going to take you from where you're at and who you are, and I'm going to work inside you by my spirit, through my word, and I'm going to change you to be something totally different. I'm going to transform you. But not just you as an individual. I'm going to transform all y'all, right? For the Texans in there. It's plural. I'm going to transform all y'all. This is a communal endeavor, and I will make you, so I will transform you, community, you, to be fishers of men. You started out as fishermen, and your mission was in one small sea that you grew up living around, and that your boat knew, and that you knew really well, but follower of Jesus, as you chase after me, your mission goes from being one little pool to being the whole world. The whole world. If it feels too small, I'll propose to you today, we've missed it. We've missed it. We've given it away. What Jesus would have for the whole church has just been embraced by some, but I want to tell you today, it's for you. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And I want to unpack for us the way that God invites us through the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth to be a part of his great mission. Because I imagine a church, friends, where the mission is so big that it takes every single person to play a part. That the mission's so big and so beautiful and so grand that no person in this room can think, I get to sit on the sideline and watch the quote-unquote professionals do it or the people that are quote-unquote gifted do it. That no person, the mission's so big that every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you play a part. I imagine a church of people finding joy in living on mission with Jesus, trusting that God wants to use their lives, your lives, for his kingdom and for his glory by his power displayed throughout all of Littleton, Denver, Colorado, and the world. Anybody, you want to be a part of that kind of church? Two of you do. Great. So listen up, both of you. We're going to dive in. Listen to the way that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says this, verse 20. He says, therefore. Now, anytime we read the words therefore in Scripture, we should ask ourselves, what's it there for? Right. And so we're going to unpack what's it, what it's there for in the rest of our time. But let me throw this out. Here's what he says. Therefore, we are Christ's are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled, to be brought back to God. Uh, look up at me for a moment. You, you are an ambassador. You carry the name of Jesus if your faith is in him, you carry the name. Um, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, listen, your citizenship, your passport doesn't say the country you were born in. Your passport, your citizenship is in heaven. Amen. Is in heaven. You carry that DNA. You carry that kingdom wherever you go and wherever your feet hit. You are carriers of the kingdom of heaven. That DNA is in you if you're a follower of Jesus. Come on, somebody say Amen. That, that, that DNA is 
in you as followers of Jesus. Jesus um, said in the Gospel of John, after he's resurrected, John records these words for us. Jesus, gathering his disciples together, he said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You're a sent person. You're an ambassador, not some of you. See, that's what makes a story feel way too small is when we go, man, that's awesome. Some people get to live that. No, you get to live it. You get to live it. Wherever God's planted you, wherever God divinely has you, you get to live it. See, an ambassador in the Roman Empire was someone who would be sent by the emperor, by the emperor to go and he would do two things. He carried a message from the emperor and he carried authority from the emperor. So when an ambassador went in to a certain colony or to a certain town, he carried a message and he carried authority. And for those receiving an ambassador, it was as though the, the emperor himself were coming to meet with these people. He carried authority and he carried the message. We've had um, a great example of an ambassador. I was trying to think, what is the modern-day equivalent of ambassadorship in the U.S.? We've had a great ambassador as of late, haven't we? Um, you remember this? Like, this was a few months ago where, where Dennis Rodman somehow became an ambassador for the United States of America. He's like, I'll go to North Korea. I'll hang out with Kim Jong-un. And everybody in the U.S. is going, oh, come on. No, 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 no. Like, that can't, he can't represent us. That's not what we're like, right? I mean, so he carries the flag. He carries the name. And not in a way that we would look at and go, yes and amen, that's, uh, that's awesome. But because he plays that role, he carries that name. I don't know about you, man. Sometimes I look at some followers of Jesus, and that looks better. But make no mistake about it. If you're his follower, you're his ambassador. This is not for some. This is for all who carry his name. I want to give you four things that ambassadors are, okay? Or that ambassadors do. Write these down. I know we're not even into the outline yet and you're looking at your watch, but um, I hope you brought a snack. Okay, this is what ambassadors do. <laughs> ambassadors, first and foremost, listen to the orders of their superiors, they do not carry their own message. They do not stand on their own accolades. They carry the message of their sending delegates. Of, in, in Rome, they carried the message of the emperor when they went. It wasn't on their own or of their own volition. They carried his message. So here's the deal. First and foremost, ambassadors are people who listen to the king. Because not every message that we're going to be giving is the same. Not every context we're supposed to give it in is the same. And we contextualize it for the people that are listening. That's the second thing ambassadors do. They speak two languages. Ambassadors speak the language of their citizenship, which is the language of heaven for you. And ambassadors speak the language of their culture. Because we have a message to deliver. And ambassadors build a bridge between where they're coming from and where they're sent to. This is huge, is it not, for followers of Jesus in today's day and age. One of the ways that we get to be ambassadors, I think, is in, in the public arena of art 
and cinema, creativity. And one of the things you see followers of Jesus doing is abdicating ambassadorship. And so instead of saying, we have a message from the kingdom of heaven, of beauty, of grace, of love, of redemption, of a God who's saying, I'm inviting you back in, and we're going to learn to speak your language so we can invite you into this story, what we're doing is saying, you learn to speak our language and come into our story. So we'll create like Christian movies that, are, um, that, are, that aren't bad, but they're just not penetrating in the deepest beauty of the human soul the way that they could be if we take our role as ambassadors a little bit more seriously. We carry, we speak in two languages. We carry the kingdom of our citizenship and we speak to the language of our culture. Third, ambassadors are never off duty. Never off duty. So you never get to a place where you're like, all right, I'm going to punch the clock. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus at home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. Someone tested my follower of Jesus-ship um, this week. I was dropping my son off at the bus, and this dog ran up to me, and he was slobbering, right? And I had just gotten, left a dog who was running up to me slobbering at home, right? Fended him off, walked out the door, was met, dog running up to me, slobbering, comes up to me, goops the back of my leg. His owner runs after him, bends down, has a full cup of coffee, and pours it all over the back of my legs. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, please. Right? Like, I wanted to just punch that clock so fast and be like, off duty, who do you think you are, man? Like, what, dog on a leash, hot cup of coffee, but man, we can't do that, can we? Luckily, I didn't because he walked right down the cul-de-sac right next to me. So I'll see him again. <laughs> We're never off duty. We, as Paul says, we, we carry the aroma of Christ. Carry the aroma of Christ. And obedient, uh, ambassadors are obedient to their sending delega delegates. What the king requires and asks of ambassadors, they step into with everything that they have. David Livingston, the great African missionary, says this. He says, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice. Friends, you are commissioned by the king. Not some of you, but all of you. You see, mission, living on mission, living in this relentless mission of God to redeem, restore, renew his creation is not something you're called to do. That's when it starts to feel way too small. It's something we're called to and invited to live with every fiber of our being, every moment of our day. There's no time we punch the clock in our off-duty. We are, if we're followers of Jesus and disciples of his, we are his ambassadors. Something's happened as followers of Jesus. Something's happened over the course of Christendom. We've, we've seen this mission, that's what that M is, as a part of our lives, right? So we, we go to work, and we um, eat our meals, and we hang out in our neighborhood, and we mow our lawn, and we spend time with our family, and we do all these things. And then one of the other things that we add to our lives is, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I should probably be on mission with and for God. 
the message of the gospel, that's way too small. Just throw it out. That's way too small. If you live 10% of your life even like this, that's way too small for this grand invitation from this grand God. See, this is the way that it was designed to be. Not, not that part of your life is mission, but that your whole entire life is one of sentness. That God's designed you, wired you, gifted you. Not to spend an hour sitting in a chair on a Sunday morning, but to spend a life hearing his voice, embracing his call, and stepping into the invitation he's given you to be part of what he's doing in his world every moment of every day on every corner of his great globe. And, and a missionary, quote-unquote missionary, is simply somebody who does this, lives on mission, who does this here, listens to their emperor, their king, Jesus, and as they're doing this here, he says to them, hey, you know what you're doing here? Maybe you go do in China. Maybe you go do in Africa. Maybe you go do somewhere around the globe. It's not categorically different. It's the same mission in a different place. And it's a mission not for some, but it is a mission for all. So here's what I want to do. I want to, in the remaining 15 minutes we have, I want to go back and I want to unpack for you what this looks like in the life of the Apostle Paul and how he gets to this point of this massive gospel, this beautiful invitation, and this calling for you and I and him to live as ambassadors for and with Jesus. What happens in his life to get him to this place? Verse 14 of chapter 5. He says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, who for their sake died and was raised up. So here's what Paul does. He says, the motive for ambassadorship at the forefront of his mind is one thing. Christ's love, what? Why? Come on, guy. Just read the word that's right above the finger, right? His love controls us. In the Greek, it's this picture of somebody being um, tied up or hemmed in, or somebody who's backed into a corner and all options are taken away. It's an interesting way of looking at the love of God, isn't it? Paul goes, listen, I, have, I am so absolutely surrendered. It's a picture of being like in a straitjacket where Paul's just going, I would love to do something other than this, but I can't. His love so compels me that I go out into the world as his ambassador. I don't live as an ambassador. I don't, I don't know about you. I do. We follow Paul's lead in this and find the fuel for that, the energy for that, the motive for that in the love that God has for not only you, but for his great creation. Now, if you look at this closely, here's what Paul does. He gives you um, a foundation for this love. He says, we have, we have all died. He's talking about the death that you and I are given through just being human. Um, it's called original sin. 
that we are in a desperate spot. Without God's intervention, that we would be absolutely desperate, desolate, and have no hope in the world of reconnecting ourselves to the God of the universe. Paul says that everybody, all have died. And if we're going to understand the love that God has for us, we first have to understand the desperate need that we all find ourselves in. And then he says this, he says this, he says, we've concluded this, that all have died and, and that one has died for all. Who's that one? Jesus. So the offense of all dead is met by mercy and grace that's just as big. And he goes, and everybody, for everybody, mercy and grace is available through the work of Jesus. Yeah, we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But by his grace and by his mercy, hope, redemption is available, not to some, but is available to all. And Paul goes, that message has just tied me up. I can't get over it. That I was in desperate need, he says, I was in desperate need, and Jesus has matched my desperation which, with his matchless grace and mercy. That's good, isn't it? It ties Paul up. Ties Paul up. And you see, our impact on the world is preceded by our devotion to Jesus. And our impact on people's lives is preceded by our care for their soul. His love starts to get inside of us. And we see people not just through the natural lens, but through the supernatural lens of what's going on in inside their soul. See, early followers of Jesus, they were marked by this love. You read about early followers of Christ, the church in the first through the third centuries, the, the, where they were living and where they were being, the church was absolutely ravaged by plagues. And most people, when a plague hit, even family members, they would put and throw out into the gutter quite literally because there was fear that the plague would come and just take out their home. You read about this. Early followers of Jesus were known for going and taking people who were in the gutters and in the ditches left to die. They would take them in and they would care for them because there was an intrinsic value placed on the human being by followers of Jesus because they're stamped in the image of God. They would invite them into their homes and all the writings that you read on the church, what it says about them is they were not afraid to die. There was no fear in death, no guilt in life, just the power of Christ in them. And this shaped the early church. Their love did. Friends, will our love shape this culture, shape this church? I read this week that the U.S. is going to be welcoming about 10,000 refugees from Syria. And then I read a lot of people who are afraid of the security breaches that could be possible because of that. And so we're going, ah, I'm not sure. Uh, here, here, I'll just, this is, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a second and say, is there potential for harm in that? Yep, absolutely. Was there potential for harm in people bringing somebody stricken with a plague into their home? Absolutely. 
right? So I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise and I'm not saying we shouldn't do our due diligence, but I'm also saying that if we don't open our homes, if we don't open our lives, if we don't open our doors, then we are categorically not the church, not the church. We need to be the type of people that say to the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, there's room for you because our God cares and we believe that we need to fill this gap. The love of Christ, compel- we know that's dangerous, but the love of Christ, it's tied us up. It's backed us into this corner. He's been so good to us. How could we not be good to those around us? Maybe it's modern-day slavery or sex slavery that you just go, as I listen to my father speak to my soul, that's what his love is compelling me to step into. Maybe it's issues of hunger or issues of clean water. or Whatever it is for you, whatever it is, as you listen to your sending delegate, where is he sending you? What position, what, what role is he asking you to step into? Here's the way Paul continues. He says, from now on, therefore... We regard no one, that's not where I am, according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus or this way no longer. So he goes, hey, once I just thought Jesus was this normal, homeless Galilean who was wandering around preaching. But Paul goes, okay, now that I've, now that I've met him, I don't view him that way anymore. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, The old has passed away, and in the Greek, it's the aorist tense. It's like, it's a done deal, and behold, the new has come. This new has come is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means it's an action that happened at a definitive point in the past that has implications that reach all the way into the future. The new has come. That's great news. So he starts to look at the world, Paul does differently. He not only is compelled by the love of Christ, but he starts to see the world around him in a different way. Here's what he sees. Here's what he sees. This is good news. He sees the world through the lens of kingdom potential. He looks at himself first and goes, man, I was... I was one driven by zeal for the law and now Christ has redeemed me and I'm compelled by love. He goes, he's made me new. Did you know, this is just for free, did you know that followers of Jesus are simply maturing into who they already are? We're not trying to be somebody different. God's already planted the seeds of the kingdom, new birth, new life into our souls. We're not trying to be different. We're just trying to become and be all that God has said we already are. And Paul looks at the world and he goes, that's the way I see the world now. I see the world through new birth. I see the world through new potential. I see the world through, what if the kingdom got a hold of that area and started to drill down? What if the kingdom got a hold of that person and started to redeem them and renew them? And what if they gave their life to Christ? Maybe they too could go from zealous for the law to preacher of the kingdom. And this potential, just I, I just sense that for Paul, it's just like oh tidal wave that overwhelms him. He goes, oh my goodness, we see the world differently. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I think sometimes we see the world uh, maybe in a different way than Jesus would have us see it. 
We see it as a marred thing. We see it as, as, as just simply evil. And Jesus sees it as, oh, what if my kingdom came? And what if my will was done right here on earth as it is in heaven? And what if my people carried that kingdom and spoke that word? And what if I started to redeem and renew and make whole? You tell me that's too small of a story. I just think we've lost the prophetic imagination. Where we don't we can't see it anymore. I think we're sort of like, I don't know if you followed this, but um, there's this court reporter who um, in mid-August did a rendering of Tom Brady sitting in court. And um <clears throat> It wasn't good enough for people that think Tom Brady walks on water. So it was, I thought it was fine. I thought it looked great. I mean, I thought he looked awesome. But for everybody else, it was, that doesn't look good enough for us. And even Jane Rosenberg, who did this rendering, she said, I want to apologize to Tom Brady for not making him look as handsome as he really is. Yes. Twitter like blew up with this. She goes on to say, it's hard to capture that in a short amount of time. I don't know. I think this is how we view the world oftentimes, though. Just, just, that it's just um, evil, and that it's, I'm not saying Tom, maybe I am saying Tom Brady's evil. <laughs> but I don't think we see it the same way God does. And what Paul says is, now I see the world through kingdom potential. Do an inter- interesting study, read through the Gospels, and listen to the way the Gospel writers talk about the way that Jesus sees He sees Matthew sitting on the sidelines. He calls him out of his tax collector's booth and into the kingdom. He sees things that aren't and calls them into things that are. And he invites you and I, will you see the world the same way? Will you give people value that they intrinsically have as human beings? And see the kingdom potential in all. When you see people differently, you start to imagine different possibilities of ways we could reach them and hold out the hope of the gospel. We do. That's the motivating factor. We love Jesus. We see kingdom potential. But if we lose sight of the kingdom, we lose sight of the passion and power that's behind sharing this beautiful good news that Paul goes on to talk about saying this. He says, and all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us. Now, just look up at me for a second. That's you. He gave us. He gave the church, people who are citizens of heaven, people who are sent in the same way Jesus is sent. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? That God that Christ, that in Christ, God is reconciling, is bringing back the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. That's good news. That's good news. You've been entrusted. You've been given. You are carriers of the good news. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news. It's you. It's you, you're carriers of the kingdom wherever you go, whatever you do. It's in your neighborhood, you carry the good news. You declare it and you deed it. You declare it and you live it out. Both in your, ha- in your families, in your homes, in your workplaces, wherever you go, you're on duty. 
for your joy and for his glory. Not a person in this room who's a follower of Jesus who's outside of the realm of that. I love that we see the father heart of God in this. He longs for people to be reconciled to him. He made a way that all people could be reconciled to him. That during the crucifixion, where was God? He was in Christ, redeeming and restoring his good and beautiful creation because he's for it and he loves it and he's inviting you. You get to persuade. You get to carry the beautiful message that for our sake, here's the gospel in one verse, verse 21, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reformers called it the great exchange. It's great if you're on our end. I think God got the short end of that stick. But praise him for his mercy and for his glory and for his providence and reaching down into a life like mine, drilling holes into my soul and planting the seeds of the gospel, the hope of the kingdom and the glory of God. Oh, man. Oh, man. See, you carry the message of God's loving embrace. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase of the scriptures called The Message. Here's what he says. He says this. Become friends with God. He's already a friend of yours. That's the message. God's already done everything on his end to forgive you, to reconcile, to bring you back. He's already taken care of it. If there's any blocks to you moving towards God or thinking that he's for you or in a relationship with you, it's in your head. It's not in his heart. He's already done everything it takes, paid the price you could never pay to give you life you could never earn, to launch you on mission bigger than you could ever imagine. And we have a number of people in this church that are beautifully living out this story. I want you to hear from one of them, Ruth and Don Nichols. I think their story is going to be I'm a Don Nichols. To I'm, I'm Don Nichols, and this is Ruth uh, Nichols. We've been married for, what, 55 years now. Um, we've been here at uh, South Fellowship for about 27 years. One day, uh, we we're praying with our pastor, Scott Winnick, and he said, you know, things are happening, things changing. I may not be where God wants me to be for the future. Would you pray for me? Don said, I'd like some prayer. I don't like my job either. So uh, we prayed, and then it was time to get ready for the evening service. I was going along, patting myself on the back and talking to God about Thank you, God, that I'm not like those men that are discontented. I'm content to teach normal, uh, average children, and uh, I'm fine just where I am. Thank you for letting me be me. And I collided with a Vietnamese preschool child. And one of the few times that I know for sure God was talking to me, he said, that's who you're supposed to be teaching. I tried to reason with him, point out all the reasons that wasn't a good idea. Uh, but um, it didn't work. And so I quit my job as a teacher and I went back to a graduate school. But the real me was thinking, 
It'll take me two years to get my master's and God will find somebody better to do it. <laughs> well, I did, but he didn't. I was graduated now and it was time to start, but in the meantime, uh, Don was without work for the first time in his adult life. And we had just moved to a new church, so we had no um, community support and no financial support. But it was the time that we put our stake down that we were going to start school for Vietnamese people that we didn't know at a place that was yet to be determined. Here I was without a job, and God's saying to Ruth, it's time. Uh, I kept getting this message. Uh, <clears throat> Go talk to your thesis advisor and, and start teaching at UCD. No way. That is not going to happen. <laughs> that was my idea. So I went to CU Denver and um, talked to my thesis advisor. He introduced me to the head of the department and he says, we've got two classes right now that we don't have covered. You can start teaching them immediately. Okay. <laughs> So here I am, I start teaching these two computer science classes um, and noticing that about half of the classes were foreign students. Um, Vietnamese, uh, Saudis, Russians, just all over the globe. And we decided that um, we would invite our, the foreign students to come to our home for Thanksgiving. And we don't remember exactly, it's somewhere between 12 and 16 people showed up for that first uh, dinner for uh, English second language people. Every one of the people that showed up was Vietnamese. They had no idea that God had talked to me, but God must have nudged these Buddhists into our home for Thanksgiving. Oh, it was them. The, the college students that introduced us to families that had preschoolers. Someone told us about um, a church just off of Federal on Mississippi and told us to, to go see if they would. So I had a speech made out for the pastor about why he ought to give me free space. And he's, uh, I, before I could really get into my uh, talk about why he needed to do it, he said, of course I need to do it. I've prayed for 12 years that there would be a ministry for Vietnamese students. Sit down, Elliot went to bat for us. Um, uh, some other people came together. A contractor built the restroom. Uh, used, Mark, yeah, an architect gave, gave his time. time. The contractor gave the materials that he had collected and, and we got it done. And uh, just on a whim one evening, I invited Don and Norma Hunt to have dinner with us and they wanted to know what we were up to and I said well if we can get some cabinets made etc we're going to do this and Don says I'm a carpenter I'll do it before we could get all of the legal requirements to have a tax exempt when I was interviewing to get all of that worked out uh, uh, Jeff Johnson said oh and what's the name of the school I hadn't really thought about that I said, New Song School. <laughs> so forever after it was New Song School. And one of the uh, fathers of some of the students wanted to practice his English on us. And he said, do you know what new, what that means? I thought, oh, the signs have been made. So, uh, please don't let it mean something bad. <laughs> and he said, song in Vietnamese. He says, it's hard for me to explain, but it means new life only forever, only perfect. And I'd made the sign myself, 
out of paper that I had. I had red paper and yellow paper, so that was the school colors. And the first week of school, the parents said, thank you for making the school colors the, the colors of our flag. <laughs> and then we officially started uh, the preschool in 1993. Calling us to do it when we had no visible means of support. And just to think that when people lose their job and, and they think, well, I can't do anything now. I can't, what can I do? And God is just saying, just trust me, just trust me. There's, there was never a time that we needed something that it wasn't providing. One of the great joys for us uh, that God has supplied was He let us be part of establishing a Vietnamese church at the site where the school was. And uh, we got to interview several candidates. Uh, they were, uh, after being in our home, they said, if you can give your life for, to work with the Vietnamese, we can come to Denver and give our life to work there. And now their children call us grandma and grandpa. Uh, I was in the delivery room when both of their children were born. Uh, God, God has given us so much more than we ever gave out. I can't, what can I do? And God is just saying, just trust me, just trust me. Don and Ruth are, are here. Um, your faith is inspiring. Um, you live a big story, not because you're great, but because God is great. You're really ordinary people to the glory of God, but your faith, your faith through that God has done great things. I want to say that to all of you, that this is not, this is not an invitation for some, this is an invitation to all. So maybe, just maybe, um, as we just land this plane, um, you're wondering where, where, where do we go, where do we go from there, where do we go from here? few pieces of encouragement for you. Believe that God wants more from you and for you, more for you than just coming for an hour on Sunday morning. He does. His mission is way bigger. Would you use your gifts and step into it? Maybe a baby step is um, you participate in, a, in um, attend one, serve one. You come and, and one service you serve here in a variety of different ways you can do that. And in one service, you come and worship. And maybe you can just give an hour, and that's all you, another hour, that's all you can give. I get it. Maybe you do a 10-1, serve one. Maybe you're a part of our third service team that's going to relaunch that service right here, 4 o'clock next Sunday, and you want to be a part of something that's really just getting going from the beginning stages. Maybe you do that. Maybe you go to your local park and start to interact with people in your neighborhood. Maybe you share your faith with people in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Maybe you have some of your neighbors over for dinner. Maybe you serve in Whiz Kids or the food bank, two awesome ministries. Maybe you just go before the Father and say, here I am. Here I am. Would you use my whole life to be a part of your relentless mission. It's an invitation for all, not just for some. 
And when we don't embrace it, the story feels too small. But I can assure you, it's big enough. It's big enough. Would you stand with me as we close our time together? Mission isn't something we do. It's a way that we're invited to live. Because we're convinced that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. And so, Lord, we want to live our lives with that day in mind. Lord, we believe that living as people who are ambassadors is not something we get to subcontract out, but it's something that we get the joy of living in as your followers. Would you remind us of it today? Would you compel us, tie us up with your love? Would you give us a kingdom perspective? What could happen if your kingdom invaded in every corner of the city, of our homes, of our workplaces? Give us a kingdom perspective and a prophetic imagination. What could happen if? And Jesus, remind us that, uh, remind us that we are carriers of this beautiful news, that we are friends with God because you've taken down every barrier by your cross. We love you. Send us out as people, ambassadors for you, ambassadors for you. Would you sing this as our benediction together? All the earth, the name of Jesus, we bow. gospel. We're reminded today of the beauty of the invitation that you've given us, that you long to bless, restore, redeem, and renew your creation, and that you've invited not some, but you've invited all of us to play a part. 
May we say no to invitations that are too small and embrace your invitation to be part of your mission. Great God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.